Well, good morning. It's good to be with you all. We've been looking forward to being here. Uh, we, we got into the States. These are all, I'm going to try to answer some of the questions that people ask, like, when did you come? When are you leaving? Uh, and those kinds of things. So we came into the States uh, the end of May, um, May 25th. And uh, we were uh, in Ecuador in lockdown, like every, in one degree, like everyone else. On another hand, uh, being in, in this kind of a country, uh, there was 2 p.m. curfews every day. Uh, we hadn't seen anyone in months because we were not allowed, not allowed out. In fact, we went out to, um, just to go for walks, things like that. And if you're on, if you follow us on Facebook, maybe you saw like I was posting some videos of our walks around and we're walking cow pads. Like all we're seeing is cows and wildlife. And I thought, this is beautiful country. I love living there. It's the most beautiful place we've ever lived. Uh, you can ask any of our family and they'll all say that. We're in the Andes Mountains, 9,000 feet in elevation. And it's beautiful. So I was just taking my phone and just commentating on the scenery as we walked. And then we started getting comments back from people we knew in Ecuador saying, you're not supposed to be out of your house. And so I stopped posting videos. I can't say that we stopped walking. But um, so we, hadn't, we were doing everything virtual. Um, everything was just online, Facebook Live, things like that, Zoom calls. And we were just about going insane of not seeing anyone. And so we said, well, we're planning to come back in July. Why not just see if we can get out earlier? Who knows when we'd be able to get back? Because there was a few flights that they had listed through May, and the last one was May 25th, and we thought if we there was no flights listed after that. If we didn't get that one, who knows when we'd ever get back again. So uh, we started putting things in motion, and God just provided every step of the way. We had to... Uh, we, we had to put our stuff in storage. We had to, several things to figure out, not to go into all the detail, but several things to figure out before we could make the trip back, uh, let alone get tickets. Get, we had passports that we had that were expired that we couldn't go and renew because right when we were getting ready to go and re, to the embassy and renew them, they locked everything down and we couldn't go. And then we couldn't go get the visas or the uh, passports rather because we didn't have plane tickets, but we couldn't purchase airplane tickets without passports. And we were like, so talking to both airline and the embassy, and finally uh, they were able to work it out, and we got in and got uh, the passports and, and flights and all of those kinds of things and flew out on May 25th. And so we thanked the Lord for the provision to be able to come back and did a two-week quarantine in Florida uh, before, and then a couple more weeks there visiting some supporting churches, and then we came up north. And so uh, the plan is to go back in January, uh, Lord willing, again, depending on visas, uh, right now it's open to fly into Ecuador. You just have to show a negative test within 48 hours of arriving. And uh, we have friends that have gone there and come back and, and without issue, without problems, and um, as long as you have the negative test. So that's kind of the logistics of, of where we're at. So thankfully, we're, we have been able to visit most of the, the planned churches that we had to visit. Um, we we I called churches, I talked to Dave back in January or something, January or February, to set up uh, a visit here and all a lot of other churches, and then everything shut down a month later. And we're like, okay, what are we doing? Are we still visiting? But we thank you that, that you're here and, and uh, allow us to be with you and share the, the morning with you. Uh, I want to uh, go to the Word of God first and share a few thoughts from Scripture, and then we'll look at some pictures uh, and give you a bit of an update and let you know a little bit about where we're at and what we're doing uh, in Ecuador. But um, hopefully the computer doesn't go to sleep and we lose all the PowerPoint stuff and all of that, right? 
So, you know, many times when a missionary comes, we go to the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28. Who can tell me, just if you can shout it out, what is the Great Commission? Go into all the world, I heard. What else? Preach the gospel. What else? Make disciples. We're piecing it all together here, right? Uh, If I were to summarize it in just a couple of words, I know there's a lot there that we could unpack. Um, and we're not going to go to Matthew 28 this morning because you, you know, you're kind of piecing that together. But if I could sum it up in just a couple of words, I would sum it up with these words: just make disciples. Now, there's a lot more that we can we can put into that, right? But it, in just a couple of words, it's just make disciples. That's what we're commanded to do. And we talk about missionaries going as church planters, and I was never commanded to be a church planter. Right? We were never go, uh, commanded to go and start churches. Now, I'm not saying those things are wrong, right? but that's not what we were given to do. We were commissioned to go and make disciples. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, I will build my church, and even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So it's not on my shoulders to plant God's church, to keep it going, to make sure all of these things... Now, there's certainly strategies, philosophy of ministry, all those kinds of things that play into this. But ultimately, this is God's church. And so I don't bear the, the, the burden of whether it succeeds or fails. It's God's church. And so we trust him for what he has. But what about the day-to-day? How do, what does this look like in the day-to-day of life? What do I do? I think it's interesting. We, uh, we've mentioned Matthew 28, uh, the Great Commission. We have Matthew chapter 16 that I mentioned, where Jesus takes his disciples over to Caesarea Philippi and asks them, who do people say that I am? They say, you're John the Baptist, one of the prophets, Elijah. Uh, And he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds with, on this truth that you've said, Peter, that was given to you by God, on this truth, I will build my church. So we have the Great Commission. We have this great revelation to Peter of who Jesus is. And, about, and the first mention of the church in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 16. But what about the day-to-day? You know, as we went to Nicaragua, first of all, uh, we had great aspirations of planting a church and churches. We had, we had plans, we had a strategic plan, a five-year game plan, that kind of thing, a philosophy, and you know, what are we going to do, and how is this going to look? And we had great hopes and dreams uh, you guys came a couple different times and participated in that. We were excited. The very first Bible study that we had in our home, after living a year in the community, the very first Bible study that we had in our home, your church was there. And so you guys have been integrally a part of what God was doing in Nicaragua. So we were excited about, about that. But what was our motive? You know, it's interesting to think about what our motive is when we're looking at all of this of, of, uh, man, we want to see churches, we want to see people saved, we want to, all of these kinds of things, make disciples. And we say things like, we want, to, we want to reach our community, we want to win our neighbor for the Lord, we want to see people get saved, we want to do all, for what motive, what purpose? And we don't want to say this, but many times, well, we want to see every seat filled. We want to see big programs and great things happening in our church. Is that what it's about? See, we weren't given the command to build God's church. Jesus said he would do that. 
So what's our motive? To start a church, reach people, win them, whatever? No, I, I think uh, when we look at the Great Commission, I would say this, if you can remember, if, if you forget, if forget everything else and remember this, hopefully you remember this statement that I want to make. It's impossible to fulfill the Great Commission without living out the Great Commandment. Can I say that again? It's impossible to fulfill the Great Commission without living out the Great Commandment. I mentioned a couple passages in Matthew. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, the Great Revelation to, to Peter, uh, the first mention of the church in Matthew chapter 16. The Great Commandment is also found in Matthew in chapter 22, and that's where we want to look this morning, Matthew chapter 22. So again, as they're trying to come to Jesus often and trap him and trick him with a question and look for some, some way that they can get at him, this is where we find a lawyer that comes to Jesus and, and asks him some questions, or asks him a, a question. And I'm going to start at verse 34, Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. It says this, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You know, many times we think of the church as being a fortress, a hospital, a lighthouse it's called. And I always laugh about it being a a lighthouse, uh, where a lighthouse is strategically positioned in a place to shine a light and keep people away from danger. So I, I struggle with this idea of the church being a lighthouse because we want people to come, right? Not to stay away. But we think of it as a fortress, a place to come and escape uh, the, the battles and attacks of the world that, man, we, we just hold up here and, man, we'll, we'll get strengthened, we'll be here, we'll support one another. And there's one part of that that, that we want to be a, in a place that we can be healthy and grow, but ready to move out. The church is, was commissioned to go and take territory. Not to sit back on its heels. We've been given the armor of God, not just to protect ourselves, but we've also been given the sword of the Spirit. Right? To go on the attack. This is a spiritual warfare. I I think Ephesians chapter 6 is still very much in play that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That the things that we see in this world are certainly a spiritual warfare. It's not just, oh, well, this this problem is coming up today. Now, I don't mean to give more credit to Satan than what's due because we are certainly dealing with our sinful nature as well. But we're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual battle. And the the church is not a fortress to just hold up in, but we're to move out. To be preachers of the gospel. So we talked about the great commission, make disciples. What is the great commandment? Let's, Let's consider this question this morning for just a couple minutes. So as you look at the great commandment, Jesus breaks it down into two very easy-to-remember parts. He says, love God and love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. Very simple. One author said this, that how you live shows who you love. How you live shows who you love. And 
we can all identify with people that look at the church and accuse the church and point at the church and say, well, they're hypocrites. They don't love one another. I see how they live. I see how they interact. I see how they treat people. I see how they treat one another. How you live shows who you love. Someone, someone also said, I don't have, I, I'm, I'm horrible with authors and who said it and who preached it and who quoted it. But another person said, uh, love is better demonstrated than defined. Love is better demonstrated than defined. Because if I was to ask you, well, how do you receive or give love? You would start explaining what love means to you. How, how you, uh, not what love is, but how you understand love. Because one might understand love different than another, right? This is often the great battle between husband and wife, where the husband uh, tinkers with his thing all day long and tries to do this and that and whatever, and the wife thinks he's over there doing his own thing and he's not thinking about me, he's not caring about me, and he's thinking, I'm going to do all of this and I got this all taken care of for her. Good, I've showed love to her. And she's like, I just wanted to spend time with him. Right, And so this is the great struggle between husband and wife to understand love with one another. Uh, there's a book, I think, by Chapman written years ago, The Five Love Languages. So you can try to understand what's my love language, what's their love language, how do we give or receive love. So we define this, or we demonstrate this, rather, in different ways. So the lawyer comes to Jesus, and he says, which is the greatest of all the commandments, out of the 613 Old Testament laws, which is the one that's greatest? Man, if that question was posed to me, I'd be sweating bullets, right? I remember going through my ordination, and they're asking me questions. I'm like, Irena still gives me problems about this, or trouble about this, because like she says I was talking softly and trying to think through things, and which is not generally my my response, but I'm trying to make sure that I'm thinking through this properly, giving the right answer. And so this lawyer... Right, A lawyer comes to Jesus and says, which is the greatest of all the commandments? Well, he's speaking to the author of the commandments. Right? And so Jesus says, the greatest of all of these is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Now, again, we, we could spend a lot of time to unpack all of this, but it's basically love God with all your being. Love God with all that you are. And I remember hearing from people from time to time, and they would say, uh, it, I, I call it just religious talk. They would say, well, yeah, we love God. Yeah, we love God. Yes, yes, we, we do this and that, and we love God. And I, you, know, you, you just process this in your mind, and you think, what does that mean? Are we just throwing those things out there just to sound like the Pharisees? Oh, yeah, we love God. Because Jesus said, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. It's very easy to say, oh, yeah, we love God. It's quite another thing to demonstrate it, right? And so Jesus connects these two points. One is a, horizontal, or a vertical relationship, love God, right? That's between me and God. That's the vertical relationship. And that's demonstrated by a horizontal relationship, by how I love my neighbor. How do we know that we love God? By how we love our neighbor. Love is better demonstrated than defined. So back in the book of Luke, or over in the book of Luke, Again, this same uh, situation was posed about uh, loving God. What was the greatest commandment? Uh, and, and, then he, and then the lawyer asked, well, who's my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? It's a great question, right? It's, it's, it's a great thing to consider now. Who is my neighbor? And so Jesus goes into the story of the Good Samaritan, right? 
And he tells about how this guy was walking down the road to Jericho and he gets jumped by a bunch of thugs and they rob him and leave him for dead. And then a couple of religious people, right, if we put it in our context today, we see the church walking by and they kind of turn away. Oh, I, I, don't, I can't deal with this. I don't have time. I don't want to get dirty. I don't, he might be dangerous. Maybe, he's, maybe it's a trap. We, we have all of these thoughts going through our head. And so these two couple of religious leaders, one by one, pass by. And who's the one that stops? It's a Samaritan. The enemy of the Jews, right? The Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along. And so the Samaritan helps, cleans him up, bandages him up, puts him on his donkey, takes him to the next town, pays for his treatment and for his care. He says, if, if he owes anything, if there's any other cost, I will pay it when I come back through again. And Jesus asks, well, and so who is, who is the neighbor in this scenario? And they responded by saying, well, the one who showed mercy. The one who showed mercy. Our pastor said a few weeks ago, we were there and uh, listening to a sermon, he says, God chooses people who people wouldn't choose. God chooses people who people wouldn't choose. It's easy to love those that are like us, that are we're comfortable with, uh, to, to demonstrate real love, right? To spend Thanksgiving and Christmas and a birthday and those kinds of things together. But here's the context of what happened with the story of the Good Samaritan. The Samaritans and Jews did not get along whatsoever. And so Jesus uses this to say, even the Samaritans, even those that you don't get along with, that you cannot relate to, whose customs and ways are different, that those two are our neighbors. And we're to demonstrate love to them. And while we certainly still have this aspect in our culture and context today, I think we've kind of come an about face as a church where a church will say, yeah, we'll go to Nicaragua, we'll go to Ecuador, we'll go show the love of Christ, we will send money, we'll, we'll get a food basket together, we'll do this and that, and we'll, we'll support a, a compassion kid, we'll give to the, the shoebox ministry, we'll, we'll send it out, we'll do all these things to show love to our neighbor over there. And I read a book this last year that speaks to this issue, and it's called The Art of Neighboring. Again, I don't remember the author's name, but you can look it up, The Art of Neighboring. And he, he poses the question, what if we interpreted this word neighbor as our literal neighbor? The people who live next door to us. Not just the people in Nicaragua or Ecuador or somewhere over there, but the person who lives next door. Would they be able to say, and that person, they show love. Years ago, we were uh, we were traveling somewhere, stopped in at a restaurant to eat, and uh, of course, right? What do you what do you do there? Uh, anyway, we were there to eat, ordered our meal, and the waiter comes back later, and and uh, you know their their traditional, how is everything? Are you good? Can I help you? And all of that, and say, yeah, it's great, thank you. And then he stood there, and then and then it's a little awkward, right? Because I want to get back to my meal, and he's still standing there. And I kind of look up again, and he, you could tell he was feeling awkward too. And he lowered his voice, and he leaned in a little closer, and he said, are you guys Christians? Well, no, I'm really awkward, right? <laughs> because I'm thinking, all right, he's like angling for a bigger tip or something like that. Like, what's his, what's his deal here? But we had a, a, a conversation there, and he said, I, I could just tell. I just looked at you, and I could just tell. I have no idea 
what it was. No idea. And I was still thinking that he was, uh, that he was angling for a tip or something. So we had a conversation, and I'm kind of not quite certain what, what he's doing. Um, but we were, this was actually a deal with a, uh, it was a restaurant attached to a, a hotel so uh, that came with the price of the hotel. Um, the only thing we had to pay was drinks. So I had a coffee, and the girls had juice and things like that, whatever. And so I had to go pay for the juice, and, and the girls were using the bathroom as, as uh, I, was, I went up to the counter because I didn't get the bill, and we're ready to go. Like, let's come on. I'm ready to hit the road. I've got things to do, places to go. And I'm waiting at the counter, and nobody's around. They're all doing their stuff. And, and finally, someone comes out, and I said, yeah, I just, I've got the drinks to pay for. Um, and, I, and so they said, okay, let me look this up. And then the waiter, our waiter, comes around the corner, and he says, oh, no. I already took care of it. You guys are good to go. Who is my neighbor? Right? Who is my neighbor? Someone that I'd never met before, I have never seen since, showed love to us. But what about the person who lives next door? Man, it's tough because we live in, I call it this, a garage door culture. Right? Where you pull up to your house. You hit the remote, you pull into your garage, you close the door, and you go into your house, and you never see your neighbor. We live off of uh, sayings like, uh, uh, fences make great neighbors. Right? We try to exclude ourselves from our neighbors. If we can never see them, they've got the yapping dogs. Right? We won't mention names. Right? They're all, the kids are always running through the yard. All kinds of things, right? That we get frustrated about our neighbors. But what, have we showed love to them? Have we seen them? as an opportunity to demonstrate love. Can, I get, can we do a little test here just as we, as we wind down? You might say some of you have lived in your house for many years, a couple decades even, right? Maybe, maybe more. Can we do a little test to see if, how well you know your neighbors? Because you can't demonstrate love if you don't know someone, right? So here's a little test. Now, don't answer out loud. Just do a mental check in your mind. Um, if you ever play tic-tac-toe and you know you draw the, the two horizontal or vertical lines and two horizontal lines and you put the X's and O's and all of that kind of thing. So picture the uh, tic-tac-toe board and put your house in the middle of that tic-tac-toe board. Okay, that's your house, that's your family. And then your neighbors, depending on whatever kind of scenario, an apartment building, a house with neighbors front, back, diagonal, whatever, you, you put your neighbors accordingly. All right, you can picture the white house is there, the brown house is there, that kind of thing. All right, so now fill in the blanks. Do you know your neighbor's names that live front, back, side, each side, diagonal? Do you know their names, their first names? And some of you, I see some nodding heads. Yep, yep, I can fill in all of those. Okay, do you know their last name? Okay, I'm still seeing, yep, I got that, okay. Which means you've had conversations with them over the years, right? You said, oh, yeah, Joe, Bob, Betty, whatever. Um, so you know your neighbors by name. Okay, let's take it to another level. Do you know their birthdays? I can't remember my wife's birthday, right? Oh, my <laughs> <clears throat> But we remember the birthdays of the person that we, that we love. We take something to them. Someone that we really love, we give them a gift or at least a card or something, right? Hey, happy birthday, and it's a little demonstration of love. Do you know their birthdays, anniversary? Have you been able to sit down with your neighbor and discuss the, the difficult things, the, the loss of a job, the loss of a loved one? 
I can tell you stories of people that, that have been in our house and we've been in their house of tough stuff that they're going through. Of someone that, that we had met in, in Ecuador uh, that they're just dealing with, their daughter is, is graduating and, and going on to college and, and there's this, uh, their, their daughter was born in the States and could go to the States for school, but the lady didn't have the visas to be able to do that and this whole scenario of breaking up of a family and sitting around her table and just in tears of what do we do? What decision do we make? It was this agony of, of what was going on. Another family that's dealing with, with addictions in their family. And the guy is in and out and sometimes he's just gone for weeks at a time and praying with them through this thing and looking at God's word and trying to encourage them toward truth. Have you been able to sit down with a neighbor? I will give money to the missionaries to go to Ecuador or Nicaragua. But what about your neighbor next door? Um, I think I was talking with, with Ed about this uh, yesterday and just talking about us as missionaries with your church, that, that we are an extension. These are his words from yesterday. I hope you don't mind me quoting you, Ed, paraphrasing you. Uh, that we are an extension of Orchard Community Church. So you think, well, the missionaries should be doing this, that. You have an expectation of what missionaries should be doing over there. Can I flip that? That we have an expectation of what should be happening here in Rochester. Why should the missionaries be the ones out there making disciples, planting churches, and showing love to neighbors? Because we are part of the body. We're, all, we're in this together. Right? Let me just close with a couple of verses in this whole thing of considering of loving our neighbor, loving our brother, John says this in 1 John chapter 4, verses 19 and following, we love because he first loved us. See, it's impossible for us to love in and of ourselves, right? We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love uh, God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Chapter 3, verse 11 says this, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should love one another. Several years ago, we were taking a walk down the road where we lived in, in western New York, south of Buffalo. And this couple was out there doing a little weeding in the garden. And uh, we, we just stopped and said, hi, how's it going? And uh, started talking. And they said, yeah, we're new to the community. We just moved in a few months ago. And uh, we say, hey, let's get together. We'll have coffee or dinner or whatever. And so they did. They came to our house. We went to theirs. And a, and a friendship uh, arose from that. And if you were to look at it from the outside, in fact, we met their parents too. And they were like shocked that we were friends after they got to know us because I was the pastor of the church about four houses up the road from them, and they're atheists. Anything religiously, politically, whatever, anything you can imagine, we are on opposite sides of the spectrum from where they stand and where we stand, and where we believe, how we practice, all those kinds of things. And they, But we continue to get together for cookouts, birthday parties, whatever. We watched their little girl after she was born for a year or so, two years or something. 
And uh, we always had conversations about uh, about these things that we disagreed on, right? Because it's inevitable to to not talk about them. We, you're you're going to talk about these things, and so we just try to lovingly give a, a biblical response and continue to show love. And we've been praying that maybe, man, if we could have a Bible study, like if we could just get to sit down and and process this out with them. And we were praying about that. And so one uh, evening we were discussing something with them, and I quoted a scripture. And she is a, um, uh, the lady, I don't want to say names because I know now this is all going out into the web and everything. But anyway, she, she is a, uh, an English teacher. And she heard the, this verse that I quoted and she said, oh, that was beautiful. What is that from? I said, well, this is, this is based on, this is from the scriptures. This is everything that we are talking about is based on scripture. And so we said, let's take this step. And we invited them to study it together. Would you like to sit down and study together? So they came for two Bible studies, just them and us, two Bible studies. And at the, at the beginning of the second Bible study, they said, we're not sure we're going to continue this. We'll do this one, and then we're not sure if we're going to keep going. So at the end of the second Bible study, they said, you know what? You're not going to change our minds. We don't want to keep doing this. And we're crushed. We're thinking, oh, this is the end. This is it. But in the same breath where she said, we don't want to keep doing, because she's the more outspoken of the the two, and she said, we don't want to keep doing this. In the same breath, she said, can we still be friends? My job is not to save them. Are we we starting to get that? I hope that we can understand that. My job is not to save them. What's my job? To love them. To love them. If we just bring this all down, when we realize that our job is not to save Rochester, New York, or the world, it's simply to be a vessel of love and grace in the place that God has placed us. Do you love your neighbor? Your little homework assignment is to go and fill in more of the information about your neighbor, of not just their names, maybe birthdays, but the needs in their life, what they're facing, the things that are important to them. Just share and live life with your neighbor. Demonstrate God's love, and man, the opportunities for the gospel will come. Amen? We want to just say a special thank you to you. Thank you for the opportunity to come and visit with you and share with you today, but thank you for for walking with us. I don't say that lightly. It really means a world, the relationship that we have with you guys. Uh, not just your giving, but your, your, we know that you're praying for us and encouraging us. We love to get the notes and encouragements, and, and it, it means the world to us. So uh, when you come and uh, you guys are able to see our world, whether in Nicaragua or Ecuador, it just means the world to us to be able to share that part of life and ministry with you. So thank you for for your part in our lives and ministry and missions, and uh, we look forward to that.